we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. One of the things that a lot of hero fantasy stories have in common, stories like Star Wars and Harry Potter and The Matrix, is that the fate of the story lies, at least to some extent, in the hands of a chosen one. Someone who's been prophesied about to be a sort of savior or to defeat the great villain of the story. In Star Wars, turns out it's Anakin Skywalker. In Harry Potter, it's Harry. In The Matrix, it's Neo, which if you transliterate the letters is one. And these stories are in part about the growth and the development of these heroes as they come to recognize their identity and they wrestle with it and they wrestle with their weakness and with their fear and their unworthiness for their calling. And along the way, they try and they fail, they struggle and they suffer, they learn and they grow. And, and so to progress, they need encouragers. They need encouragement from mentors and from others. They, they sometimes need to go through training. They have to learn to persevere and to overcome. And eventually, they come to fully live into their calling and their identity, and they succeed. And we love stories like that, right? And the Bible is such a story. Or rather, the Bible tells us that, the, that real life in the real world is such a story. The real life story of this world involves a chosen one. And of course, that chosen one is Jesus Christ. But it's not just Jesus Christ. It was uh, totally Jesus 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to earth, revealing God to us, uh, teaching us how to live and how to be truly human, and then dying for our sins and rising again and pouring his spirit out on us. And it will be totally Jesus again when he returns at the end of the age to secure the final victory and to usher in his wonderful kingdom. But in the meantime, in the middle of all that, Jesus has in part delegated the task of living out the calling of the chosen one to, would you believe it, us? Us. We are chosen ones as well, right? God has called us. God has chosen us to be his people and to represent his kingdom and to participate in his mission. What is our calling? What are we chosen for? Well, to tell people the good news about Jesus, to be a countercultural people in this world, a people who model and who live a different way. We're to be like a city on a hill, a light shining in the darkness, a people who live out now the countercultural way of Jesus, the way of Jesus's upside down kingdom in a dark and deceived world. And Jesus told us that as we live in this way, okay, chosen ones, in this world, you will have trouble. Just like it was trouble for Jesus, just like they persecuted him, just like they rejected him, so they will do to us. And so as we wrestle with our, our identity as chosen ones, as we struggle with our weakness and our unworthiness for this task, 
we also come to realize we will suffer and struggle and we will fail and we will fall short and we will wish God had picked someone else at times. And so as with heroes like Harry Potter who had Dumbledore or Anakin who had Obi-Wan, God sends us mentors and encouragers to strengthen us and to train us and to help us grow and persevere in the journey. And the Apostle Paul was and is such an encourager. As we work our way through the letter of 1 Corinthians, we, we're seeing Paul in action as he does this for God's chosen one in a city called Corinth. God's chosen ones in a city called Corinth, the Corinthians. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul reminded them of who they are, that they are called to be God's holy people. In chapter 3, verse 16, Paul asks, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Then in verse 21, he reminded them, you are the heirs of everything. All things are yours. Then in chapter 5, verse 7, he told them, they are an unleavened batch of dough, a metaphor for something pure and healthy, set apart for God's purposes, worthy of God's holiness. And in today's passage, verse 11, finally, Paul reminds them, but you have been washed, you have been sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The problem is... The Corinthians are not, ask, are, are not acting like any of these things. They're not acting like chosen ones should act. Chosen ones have to be different from everyone else. Chosen ones have to be brave. Chosen ones have to persevere. They have to be willing to suffer for a greater cause. Chosen ones have to be willing to selflessly shoulder heavy burdens for the sake of others. Yet the Corinthians are anything but. They are instead all wrapped up in themselves. They're bickering and they're fighting with each other. They're arguing about who's greater as they rally around this leader or that leader. They're enamored with popularity and sophistication. For them in that Greek culture, that had to do with intellectual sophistication, with wisdom, with knowledge, with eloquence, those who could give great speeches about all that they knew and move people's hearts. And, and so some of them are bragging about all that they know and all the wisdom they have. They're like a bunch of puffed up prima donnas arguing about who's the best. Meanwhile, they also think they're really spiritual. Because many of them are having wonderful spiritual experiences. They think God is, is teaching them things, showing them things by the Spirit, that they're God's special ones, that they're the ones who get it while no one else does because they haven't had the experiences that these Corinthians have had. But Paul looks at all this and he's like, man, they just don't get it at all. They've missed what this whole chosen thing is about. And so he says at the beginning of chapter 3, if you go back there, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. You are not mature. You are not actually spiritual. 
You are not acting like chosen ones. You're more like a bunch of spiritual babies, self-centered, crying and wanting to get fed. And then we saw in chapter five last Sunday, Paul began to get practical and deal with some of the actual issues plaguing this church. The first was a man who was sleeping with his stepmom. And this incestuous relationship that was abhorrent even in the pagan world of that time was scandalous. This was going on and nobody in the church was doing anything about it. And so Paul took them to task and he said, deal with it, sort it out. This is not how chosen ones live. Well, now we get to chapter six and and here we realize that chapter five was just the warm up act. Because here in chapter six, Paul really turns up the heat. He really gives it to them. He's now beside himself with frustration and with dismay because two of their members are bickering and arguing. Evidently, one of them had cheated the other in some way, maybe out of some money or some property, we don't know. And and the one who'd been cheated, the victim, has taken the perpetrator to court. Now, to understand why Paul is so upset about this, we have to know something about the culture and the legal system of Corinth at that time because it's quite different from ours. First of all, their courts met in public, outside, in the open, in the middle of town, where everyone could and did stand around and watch. And related to this, taking someone to court in the public like this in Corinth was as much about vying for honor and status as it was about seeking justice. We're talking about civil court here, by the way, Um, That's what this passage is about. It's not about criminal court. But taking someone to civil court was as much about scoring points, about saving face yourself and trying to rub mud in the face of the other person as anything. And the Corinthian culture was very litigious. So these court cases were happening all the time. And if you lost, you appealed. (laughs) because your honor had been damaged and you had to defend it and regain it at all costs. So you got a better, more eloquent lawyer and you tried again. You attacked your opponent back because he'd attacked you. And so these public cases were notoriously nasty and personal and vicious. And a lot of it was public theater. It was public wrestling, trying to raise your own status, increase your own honor, and destroy that of your enemy, who if they weren't your enemy by the beginning of the case, they were by the end. And guess who usually won these legal battles? The one with the most money and the most influence. Because the local civil courts of a place like Corinth were also notoriously corrupt. They were based as much on who you knew and who you could buy off or pressure or manipulate as on the merits of your case. And so who prevailed in court usually? The the rich and the influential. In fact, if you weren't of a high social class, if you weren't an elite, you couldn't usually even get your case heard in a civil court in Corinth. And get this, if you were of a lower social class than the person who wronged you and you wanted to take this higher up person to court, the court wouldn't even take up your case in most cases. He's higher class than you. You can't sue him. The civil courts were for the rich and powerful. They were public. 
They were a nasty game the elites played to try to one-up each other and climb the social ladder. Remember another, a number of weeks ago, we talked about the game of King of the Mountain? That's what the civil courts were. It's what they were like. Boy, whatever problems we have with our justice system, we can be glad we didn't live then and need to use the courts. But anyway, back to chapter six, two upper class church members in Corinth have had a big disagreement. One evidently has cheated the other in some way, and the man who's been cheated has taken the other to this public court. Now let's think for a minute of who these two guys probably are. But we know from chapter one that most of the Corinthian believers were poor lower class people. Most people in Corinth were, but these guys, because they're in court, like we've said, are most probably wealthy, they're high class. And so in a very stratified culture like that of Corinth, where the poor and the slaves are hardly noticed at all and have very few rights, there's a good chance these men are also leaders in the church, given how worldly this church is. And if not leaders, at least they're very influential. They can throw their weight around and intimidate people very easily. And they're having a huge fight with each other. And you just imagine the effect this is probably having on the church. And Paul is absolutely livid about it. And so in chapter six, he unloads. And in this chapter, it's just a barrage of rhetorical questions laced with sarcasm and exasperation. Here, the church in Corinth is a small, weak minority group, always in danger of being persecuted from, by the surrounding culture and of prejudices against it. They had to be very careful about their public image to keep their nose clean and their head down to try to preserve their reputation. First, because it was dangerous to give the surrounding culture any additional reason to look down on them, but even more because they're God's chosen ones, right? They're supposed to be showing the world a different way to live and what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. And so Paul goes off on them. Do you dare to take this dispute before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? And then Paul reminds them of what their destiny is, what their calling is as his chosen ones, verse, as God's chosen ones, verse two. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Paul's saying, you're chosen ones. Don't you know who you are and what your purpose is? Don't you realize you've been chosen to represent, to work for the kingdom that will prevail in the end? A kingdom of justice and righteousness, of wholeness and peace? Don't you know in the end you will be administering that kind of kingdom? Verse 4, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? And then notice Paul's motivation here, verse 5. This is surprising. I say this to shame you. <laughs> Paul's berating them. He's trying to shame them. Now, realize that Paul wouldn't be doing this if they were weak and discouraged 
if they were humble, if they were teachable, but they're not, they're arrogant. They think they're great. They're puffed up about their wisdom and their knowledge and their spirituality. And Paul's probably thinking, I can't begin to encourage these people and help them grow up until they realize how pitifully immature they actually are. But they'd have no idea. And so he's like, come on, wake up, people. You're supposed to be living like chosen ones, showing the world a different way, showing them what Jesus is like. People should be able to look at you and see that Jesus is attractive. And one day God's people will join Jesus in sorting out this whole messed up world. One day we'll have the wisdom and the heart for justice to be able to set right all that's wrong. And yet you're anything but right now. You're so busy squabbling. You have to go to the world who you'll help one day judge to try to get justice. And what's worse, you're so proud of your wisdom, no less. Seriously? So he continues in verse 5, if you're so wise, is it possible there's no one among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Hello? But instead, one of you takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. What Paul is doing here is basically saying, start acting like you are. Live like chosen ones, because that's not how you're acting right now. In fact, verse 7, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. You've been defeated. You've failed at your calling, at your mission. You're not acting at all like chosen ones. You're not being wise. You don't really have knowledge like you think you do. You're certainly not anywhere near ready to judge anyone else, the world. Shoot, you can't even judge a dispute among yourselves. And notice Paul's not only taking to task the two men in this disagreement, he's taking to task the whole church. He's like, you all claim to be so wise and to have such God-given knowledge, but you don't know anything yet. Like five or six times in this chapter, Paul says, do you not know? Do you not know? (laughs) Isn't anyone wise enough to help sort this out? And if not, how are you any better than the world? How will you show them a better way? How will you show them what the way of Jesus looks like? And how will you ever help Jesus in the future? to sort out this world. Wow, can you see how relevant this is to us as Christians today? We as followers of Jesus are chosen ones too. And how are we doing at showing the world what Jesus is like and what the way of Jesus is like? Well, the Southern Baptists have joined the Catholics in the news for allowing and knowing about and covering up years of sex scandals and sexual abuse. Several of Christianity's biggest and most recognizable faces have been discredited amidst scandal and moral failure. And the evangelical church seems more interested in grasping power and influence than in seeking integrity and the way of Jesus. And so what do people think of Christians today? Well, that we're power hungry, that we're uncaring, that we're hypocritical, that we're arrogant, that we're immoral and oppressive. 
and the list goes on. And sure, the media is partly to blame for cherry picking stories and scenes that paint Christians in a bad light. But sadly, we've given them way more material to work with than they could ever hope for. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say to us. Would he say we're already completely defeated? That we've forgotten who we are? That we're not living like chosen ones? Well, then starting in verse 7, Paul points us back to the way of Jesus. Remember, chosen ones don't sit safely at home living a life of comfort. They don't often get handed positions of power to fix up the world from the comfort of the Oval Office. No, chosen ones are almost always the underdogs. They struggle, they suffer, they risk, they sacrifice. They feel too weak, they are often outnumbered. And in all of that, they are tested. And their character is forged and they grow in humility and in faith and in self-sacrifice and courage and goodness. So when they finally do win in the end, they're worthy of the victory and worthy of ruling well and judging well and not becoming a monster themselves. As Paul reminded the Corinthians back in verse 2, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Do you not know that they will judge angels? So how should you learn to live now as chosen ones? Verse 7, the way of Jesus. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Turn the other cheek. If someone sues you for your coat, give them your shirt as well. Do not resist an evil person. Love your enemies. Paul takes that seriously. So Paul says to the man taking his brother to court, and Paul wants everyone else to hear this too. Since you're followers of Jesus, since your job in the world is to show the world the way of Jesus, Taking your brother to court means you've already failed. Why not rather let him cheat you? Turn the other cheek. Don't resist an evil person. Follow the way of Jesus. And then in verse 8, Paul turns to the other man the, who's cheated his brother, the, the perpetrator, the even worse offender here. And Paul says, instead of turning the other cheek, you yourselves cheat and do wrong? And you do this to your brothers and sisters, your brother or sister? Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, the way you're acting to the perpetrator, defrauding, swindling, cheating your brother, people who act this way when Jesus returns are going to be on the outside looking in. They're going to be on the wrong side of God's judgment. So since you claim to be on Jesus' side, one of Jesus' followers, you can't act that way. And so Paul says to him and to everyone and to us, start acting like chosen ones. Act like who you are and what your identity is. Any of you who started following Jesus a little later in life, like I did, will, will relate to this. In my case, I was 18 
And prior to that in high school, I had been taught by my parents to be, to be kind to everyone. And I, and I aspired to that. But truth be told, I even more wanted to fit in and to be liked by my friends. And my friend group had this nasty habit of teasing certain members of our group. Uh, they'd be the butt of too many of our jokes. And we'd have lots of lie, a lot of laughs too often at their expense. And, and it was mean. And I would get caught up in it and I would go along with it. Well, when I decided to follow Jesus, I began to realize I'm a chosen one. I have a different purpose now. I have a different mission. I have a different calling. And I can't treat people like that anymore. I was now called to love people, to encourage people, to build them up. And I needed to start acting like who I was. And so I actually went back to a couple of my friends from high school and I apologized to them. And I told them what I liked about them. I was glad they were my friend. And I said I was sorry for the things that, that, um, that I'd said and participated in and that the, that didn't really represent how I felt about them. I had to start living like a chosen one. And that's what Paul tells the Corinthians they need to be doing in verses 9 to 11. He reminds them what they were, and then he reminds them what happened to them and who they are now becoming. He says, you, you can't live the old way anymore. It's not who you are anymore. Because God has made you new and called you to something else. So, don't be deceived, he warns them. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, we'll come back to that next Sunday, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You used to be people who did those kinds of things, but it's not who you are anymore. You have been washed clean. You have been sanctified. That means you've been set apart to belong to God and his purposes. You're chosen ones. You have been justified, which means Jesus has pleaded our case and, and, in fact, taken our penalty so that we can be declared not guilty and go free, free to live a new life, not to return to the life we used to live, but to be God's own people, to be God's chosen ones. So live like chosen ones, because that's who you are. All right, well, how does this passage apply to us today, especially verses 1 to 8? We'll look at verses 9 to 11 some more next Sunday. Does this passage in verses 1 to 8 mean it's never okay to take someone to civil court? Does it mean churches should have their own church courts to solve civil disputes? Well, notice that answering these questions hasn't exactly been the point of this sermon because it's not actually Paul's point. Paul's purpose here isn't to give us God's final and eternal word on all things legal and judicial. 
No, Paul's rather addressing a particular problem in Corinth in the context of a particular civil court system. And the way Paul's addressing it in verse 5 is by shaming the Corinthians. Shaming them into living like chosen ones. Shaming them out of their arrogance, their false puffed up notion that they're so wise and knowledgeable. Paul's like, really? Look what a mess you all are. If, If you're actually so wise... Why isn't there someone wise enough among you to handle this dispute two of your prominent members are having, if you're so wise? I wish you really were wise. I wish you could show the world the way of God, the way people are to get along in this world, in love, the way of wisdom, the way of what's right and good. I wish you were part of the solution instead of part of the problem. If you could realize who you are and the future destiny that's in store then all these little petty squabbles would take care of themselves. So so rather than tell us exactly what God's rules are when it comes to legal disputes, I think what Paul gives us here are a few principles we'd be wise to follow. First, remember who we are. We're chosen ones. One day we will judge the world and help Jesus put everything right, and we're going to need a lot of help. (laughs) So, though, we need to start learning to act that way now. We need to embody justice, righteousness, peace, love. Putting aside our selfish grievances, stepping up to give our lives to a bigger purpose and a bigger cause, we need to live like chosen ones. And then second, this means one of our top priorities needs to be being a good witness to the surrounding world. We're supposed to be like light in the darkness, showing the world the way of Jesus, showing the world that God is good. And so if we're acting in a way which makes Jesus look bad, then in many cases, we're probably seriously off track. We're not living like chosen ones. Instead, we're completely defeated already. And then third, chosen ones are to follow the way of Jesus, which is the way of turning the other cheek. The way of returning hatred and wrong with love, returning unkindness with kindness. And so if someone wrongs you, why not let them wrong you? And if someone cheats you, why not let them cheat you? Jesus lived this way. We're his followers. He says we can trust him. He's the great chosen one, and we are chosen ones after him. And all of us will find being chosen ones a tough road in one way or another. It's uncomfortable, it's difficult, but it's an incredible calling. And the chosen ones win in the end. And it means in the meantime, we're part of this incredible adventure, this incredible task, which will one day be the vanquishing of all evil and the restoration of all things. So let's live like chosen ones.